Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, church. It's really a privilege to be here this morning and share God's word with you. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is the biggest country in Central Africa. And this morning when we were talking with Mary, I was telling her that uh, this time around we came with our six-year-old. Her name is Anael. And uh, when she was five, Anael said to her mother and myself that uh, when she grows up, she will take her mother's place to run Africa New Day in the Congo. And she said her husband will be the boss. In other words, he will take daddy's place. And she adds and she says, he's going to come and live here at our house with me. And I said, well, it doesn't really work that way. If you guys get married, there's a good chance you're going to go and live with him where he lives. And she says, nope, nope, he's going to come and he's going to stay here. And I said, uh, well, what if he doesn't want to? And she says, well, that means it's not my husband. <laughs> so this morning, I want to talk to you about, are you the one? Are you the one? And if you're sitting next to a brother or sister, just ask him, are you the one? Are you the one? And if you're single, I don't mean it that way. Okay? Are you the one? A question that we ask when, you know, comes the time to choose our life partner, when the time comes to choose a new recruit or a new job, you ask yourself, is it the right person? Is it the right job? Is it the right opportunity? Are you the one? Let's read together in Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 23. John's disciples told him about all these things. So the disciples of John report to John what is happening with Jesus. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind have received sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf ear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. At this juncture, John has been thrown in prison by the king, Herod. And some of the disciples of John are wondering, well, you told us that Jesus is the Messiah. But how come Jesus is here and is supposed to deliver the children of Israel from the, the oppression of the kingdom that was over them, Rome, and you're in prison He's not doing anything to free you from prison. So at some point, John is hearing all these different reports about, you know, healing and wonderful things happening, miracles. And he said, listen, you guys go and ask him. 
Are you the one or should we expect somebody else? And as Jesus receives those two disciples, if you look at the text, it's interesting. They asked the question, but Jesus didn't answer right there. He starts healing people, praying for them, and praying prayers of deliverance. And then at some point, he turns to the two disciples and said, now go tell John what you've seen. So in other words, it was not about him telling who he was, but it was him demonstrating by evidence, actions, who he really was. So that John the Baptist would understand, Why, wait a minute, only one person is able to do the things that I've just heard. And this is the Messiah. And so doing flows out of being. In other words, John the Baptist could identify who Jesus was by the actions that his disciples said. We've seen him do that. We've heard him say that. We've heard him report this. The question is asked, who is Jesus, about his identity, and he shows actions. Jesus does not directly respond to the question, but he gives evidence of who he is. And if we're looking for a savior, we're looking for somebody who can satisfy our soul and who can uh, do the things that no other man or no other person can do, Jesus is the one. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he can give you direction, satisfaction, rest. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and it's Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, then Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So if you're building anything, your life, your business, your family, you cannot do without Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And anything you build in putting Jesus in the center and in the middle will last because he's going to take care of it. You're getting married, make sure that Jesus is at the center of your life. And then interestingly, when Jesus is actually uh, speaking to his disciples right after John's disciples have left, Jesus turns to his disciples and in verse 24 through 28, he says, you know, just after they, they, they left, he says about John, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you. So John wants to know if Jesus is the one. And now Jesus tells his disciple, you know, John is the one. We look to God and God looks to us. We want to make sure that he's the one that we need for our soul, our spirit, our life, and everything. And he looks to us and says, you are the one I want to use here on earth. You are the extension of my arms, my feet, my eyes, my heart. I want to use you here on earth. Jesus said previously in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, that a good tree cannot bear good, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So don't tell how good a Christian you are. Demonstrate who you are by your actions. Actions speak louder than words. We live in a society where people want to pretend they're good. And so number two, how did Jesus know that John was the one? Again, John was living out his purpose here on earth. And I want to give you some indication as to whether or not you are living your purpose. 
Uh, in fact, in this case, when you're not living your purpose, and I like Pastor Barbara when you talked about, uh, uh, you know, uh, rest, the idea of rest and abundance is in rest. If you're not living God's purpose, there are three signs or four that can tell you that something is wrong. In this case, John knew what he was called to do. He was there to prepare the way for the Son of God. One of the things that tells you that maybe you need to spend time with God and find out why you're here on earth and why God has appointed you, life feels drudgery. When you're living a spiritually fulfilling life, even the most mundane tasks become meaningful. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good for them that love him. When you know exactly what God has called you to do, even the things that you feel like, you know, ironing or doing laundry or driving, you know, on the freeway and all that, all of this is part of accomplishing the major purpose God has called you to do. But sometimes when you feel like, you know, I drag in doing everything I'm doing, you know, I have to go to church, I have to volunteer, I have to do all these kind of things. Well, maybe you have not locked into what God has called you to do. Number two, you're complacent with sin. You have become comfortable with sin in your life. So in other words, it's no longer a struggle to stop doing the things that the Holy Spirit is telling you to stop. But you f find excuses, justification. And you say, well, after all, you know, we're not perfect. And you find a way to justify that. And, and again, you know, I am there sometime myself, you know, driving on the freeway. That's when you know if you're spiritual or not. I do drive here in California, and I know what it is. In fact, even in Goma, I remember this experience. You know, I'm driving. You know, I'm praising God. I have worship music in my car, and... And I'm thinking, and I'm so spiritual. I'm just God's favorite. And then somebody cuts right in front of me and almost, you know, I almost bumped into him. And I was driving a, a, a shift, so, uh, so that's how you call it. Uh, so, stick, stick. So anyways, I put the, the speed down, I passed, and I pulled the window down. And for some of you who don't understand what that gesture is, it was because four electric windows so we would put pull the window down and that was going to give him some encouraging words you know <laughs> spiritual admonition and as about i was about to open my mouth he says hallelujah hello pastor and i said oh well, hello brother how are you <laughs> but when your temper as bad as it is becomes a habit and you no longer struggle to ask the Holy Spirit to align you with his will and be able to overcome some of your weaknesses, then you know you're not necessarily leaving your purpose. Number three, you don't have hope for the future. We live in an area that has been devastated by war for more than 20 years. Six million people have died. This place has been called the world capital of sexual violence. But one of the richest places in the world, mineral resources of all kinds, gold, diamond, coal time, name it, we've got it. And that's why, one of the reasons why this place is so messed up. And just a few days ago, I was talking to somebody who's interested in helping, and I was telling him about all that, and he said, yes, I read all these things. And he said, well, why are you there then? I mean, you guys were here in California. You went to school at Vanguard University. Why did you go there? And my only answer was, God. 
And then I managed to tell him, I have hope for a better Congo. That's why I'm there. Because if I were just thinking of the international community, superpowers, well, there is no hope for Congo. But I know God has a plan for the people of Congo. And he wants to use you, us as an instrument and use you as sponsors and partners as we work together in the Congo. So we have hope for the future. And then number four, you feel aimless. You lack direction in your life. You don't have the drive to move forward. Maybe you feel like you are not getting anywhere, accomplishing anything. You feel like you're stuck and you're wandering. Those are signs that you're not living your purpose. But remember, God seeks one person. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says this, But an hour is come, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And listen to this. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So God is looking for worshipers. People who have a close fellowship relationship with him. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30. And I sought for a man, and God is speaking. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. I found no one. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, and it's a, a, quite a long text, so I, I'm not going to read everything. But the first verse says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. In this passage, God makes four statements. You can hear him tell Moses, who really was going about his business. He's now 80 years old. He feels like, you know, his life was completely... You know, a complete failure. He's not been able to accomplish most of the things he thought he was going to accomplish. I mean, this is somebody who, uh, who was raised in the palace. You know, he was supposed to be the prince of Egypt. And some of us have had experiences in the past where we thought we had so much hope when we were 17. And now, <clears throat> it's another story. So Moses is at that point in his life where he thinks, well, you know, I'm just going to go through the motions. But then... He experiences the bush, and God says this, I have seen the misery. I have heard the cries of my people. I have come down. Now, Moses, you go. Wait a minute. If I were Moses, something is wrong here. You saw. You heard. You came down. Why do I have to go? Doesn't that make sense? God wants to use you and me here on earth. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 7. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord. I said, I don't know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Moses is 80 and he thinks it's the end. Jeremiah is probably I mean, actually very, very young. And he feels like, you know, I'm too young. How are you going to use me? I mean, use those prophets, those pastors, those senior pastors. But as much as God needed Moses, God needs Jeremiah. Isaiah 43 verse 1, Israel's only savior. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. 
And you know, one of the, God laughs in heaven. And one of the times when God really laughs is when we present our plans to him. He laughs. And most of our prayers are, God, this is my plan. Would you bless it? And God says, well, Jeremiah 29, 11, I have plans for you. Why don't you take my plans? They're already blessed. And so here Jeremiah understands that God has called him. You know, heaven's solution to earth's problem is a person. And the question is, are you the one? You were created on purpose for a purpose and with a purpose. Let me say that again. You were created on earth for a purpose, on purpose, and with a purpose. Every living thing created by God is made for a unique purpose. That includes you and everything about you was thought about by God, designed by God, and programmed by God in order to make you exactly who you are. You are 100% original. That means you have something special to do that only you can do. In fact, you, if you don't do it, the world would miss out on what contribution was meant you were meant to give. Those are the words of Rick Warren. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, For we are created... We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Whatever that mission is, here in Long Beach, California, East Coast, Europe, Africa, find out. That's where your purpose is. And instead of trying to reshape yourself to be like someone else, you should celebrate the shape God has given you. Everything you see here on stage has a purpose. I mean, the plates, the cups, the microphone, the guitars, the chairs, everything. And what's interesting is every single thing has a shape different from the other because the shape determines the use. And I like what uh, Eric Ries talked about. You know, he used the acronym of shape. And what he wanted to tell us that is that each one of us has spiritual gifts. Each one of us has a heart. In other words, passion. Our passion are different from one another. Each one of us has abilities that God has equipped us with. Each one of us has a personality. And although we want some people to have a different personality, but, you know, I am who God says I am. Discover who God made you to be. And then each one of us has experiences. And those are gems treasures, jewels that God wants to use so that he can use us in the mission he has for us. And finally, I want to say that you are the one. Please, would you tell your neighbor, you are the one. You are the one. First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are chose a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You did not choose me, says Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so here is a, just a quick advice. Don't compare yourself to anybody else because you're unique. 
Instead of comparing yourself, communicate your gift. Don't condemn yourself or others, but care about those who are in need. Don't criticize, but if you can, compliment. Don't capitulate in sin or anything that has you bound, but be creative in the way God wants to use you. Don't be cynical, but celebrate who God has made you to be. 19 years ago, for us, understanding this message came actually through an email. Somebody sent us an email, was talking about the situation in Eastern Congo. The war, the children going into the army, women being raped. And when we read the email, we thought, wow, all this is going on in the eastern part of our country. And so we sent the email to some of our friends on campus, and one professor replied back to us, and he said, well, thank you for sharing. What can we do? And at that point, we've never been to Eastern Congo. We don't know anybody. We don't speak the language. And so the only answer we can give that uh, professor on campus was, well, you know what? All we can do right now is pray. But to us, the question sounded as if God was asking us, now that you know, what are you going to do? Are you the one? And I thought, God, I'm just a guy with a girl's name. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I mean, come on. We're talking about millions of people in dire situations. But we said yes to God, and we never regretted it. But again, when you look at Africa, you look at me, and you might think, well, you know, you kind of look like the people of Africa, so, you know, it's normal that God would send you there. Well, let me tell you the story of this lady who came to Goma. She went and uh, stayed with a couple from Belgium, Europe, in Goma. And this couple had friends who were from Spain. And their son, the son of her friends of their friends who are from Spain go to Un Jour Nouveau School. Un Jour Nouveau is African New Day School back in the Congo. Seven years ago, God put in our hearts that, you know, you're doing a lot of ministry to men, women, and youth, but you're doing a lot of fixing and repairing. How about you start preparing the next generation of people in Congo? And that's how the school came about. Seven years ago, we started with 39 students, two instructors today. Seven years later, we have 1,080 students, thanks to your prayers and support and partnership. Thank you, LBCF. This is, yeah, God, to God be the praise, but thank you for your prayers and support. And so one of those children is from Spain, family from Spain. And so this lady visited with the family, and, and she, was, she was puzzled because this kid kept talking about his school. And the things that he's learning at his school. He's probably, what, 14 years old? Or, and, and so he said, well, you know, I live in Belgium. It's very unusual for kids to talk so highly about their school. I mean, they want to find every occasion not to go to school. But this one's talking about leadership. He's talking about responsibility, how they're going to change the Congo. And a young Spanish kid who doesn't quite look like his peers at our school. And so... This woman says, you know, I want to find out more about this school. So she comes to our school, you know, meets with uh, the principal. I think you met uh, Clarice a few years ago. She was here with us. And, uh, and then she walks, as she walks out of the school, she notices 
there's, there's an announcement on the door. We're looking for a principal. And then she, she thought, you know, I was in education my entire life. She's 52 years old. And she read that announcement, and it sounded to her as if, are you the one? Now, she has had experience with the church, but she was never really committed. Later on, when she ended up talking to Esther, Esther said, well, this is a Christian school. And as she's thinking and reflecting and thinking, well, maybe I'm supposed to be here. Well, it became crystal clear that God had called her to be in Congo, especially in Goma, and work for Africa New Day School. I want to see a, you, you guys to see a picture of Sophie. Sophie is a great addition to our team. And interestingly, when we told her, this is a Christian school, we would like for you to be at church at least, you know, at least once every month. Well, Sophie, we have three services at our church. Sophie is there every single Sunday. She attends all three services. And she is saying today that I know God has called me to be here, to be part of the solution. God wants to use me. Are you the one? And 29 years ago, as you know, I was a young man uh, contemplating possibly getting married and uh, uh, live with uh, my life partner. I met this incredible, wonderful person. In fact, I thought it was an angel that was lost here on earth. So beautiful. And about that time, I also met another young lady. And of course, you know, when, I mean, you don't say it out loud, but inside you wonder, are you the one or are you the one? So I was puzzled, is it this one or that one? And God took me to the mission, the calling he had on my life. And he said, this is what I want you to accomplish. This is what I want you to do. And when I looked at what God was expecting for me in terms of ministry and mission, there was no doubt that the one was this one. We've been married for 26 years, and I don't regret any of those years. And I knew she was the one. And please, would you welcome my bride, Esther, as she comes up and tell us one story. Praise God, you are the one. Um, I want to thank you also specifically for the Sons of Congo. For those of you who don't know, but uh, our way of... Uh, um, fighting against sexual violence, Camille had the revelation about 10 years ago uh, that we are doing very good with children. We even have now a home for uh, street, on, street kids uh, that, stay with, that stay with us in the beautiful home for one year before they are, while we're looking for their family. And I lost my... Uh, I thought, okay, English is very hard when you didn't speak it for over a year. Uh, so I pray that you have a, uh, a gift of interpretation if I don't, if I don't come through in English. So, uh, so you supporting this ministry that Camille had the revelation that we are all 
doing good with men, with women and children, but this is the consequences of what we're seeing. But who's taking care of the root cause of this sexual violence? Because the root cause of this uh, rape being, uh, women being a battlefield, are men. And so we started with uh, a curriculum where we teach men, we go in prison, in, in, uh, in the army, in churches, and men are changed. I didn't believe that in the beginning because I was thinking, how can a man change after doing the atrocities that we face every day and just by going through a curriculum, this man will be changed? No way. And until I saw myself with my own eyes and my heart testifying, <laughs> the power of change is in who wrote what you're teaching, who inspired what you're teaching. And this question came back to me again a couple of months ago. We send our team in Beni, and for you, for some of you maybe, who hear about what's going on in Congo, Beni has been, for the past three years, a place where horrible massacre that's happening, people from Uganda coming, because there's too much riches in that part. And so they came back and gave their report, and they were showing me the pictures, and uh, I told, I asked, I didn't know this guy. Who's this guy? Oh, this is the, our new uh, leader for the, for the kids program. And they start telling me the story of Muindo. Muindo was taken in the army when he was 14. And for four, five years, he was part of the militia. Because he was good, he became... Uh, a leader to a small group of militia, uh, militia boys. And so they were going in villages, pillaging, raping, killing for four years. And one of the day that they went, they were sent, and because if they would not bring money or will not bring anything, they will be killed. But one of the day that he went with his troop, they were all, they all got killed because they faced the Congolese army. And he managed to flee and gave himself to the UN who helped him. And through that help, he got into our Sons of Congo program. And he did all that we do uh, in our Sons of Congo. And he started a small group. And today, is the head of our children program in Beni. When they told me that, I was concerned. Like some of you, you're not saying, but I know. As me, I was concerned. He killed so many people. He raped. He did all those things that we are con condoning. Aren't we afraid that he will do that? to those kids. And God reminded me, the Bible that we're reading, it's a paper 
with words printed. But the same Bible made you and I to belong to Jesus. The same Bible has freed us from the enemy, has healed us, has delivered us. The curriculum that we're using is using the Bible. And because the word of God is what we're teaching, this curriculum can also save. And got people like Moindo, who were killer yesterday, they are now instrument in God's hands to heal those children. And one of the kids, let me tell you, one of the kids that he's taking care of, Muindo, because he's older, now he's about uh, 20-some. That boy, while our kid, while our team was there, walked hours with the head of his father in his hand. Because people like Muindo, who killed his family in the village, they told him to walk and never drop and never stop or they will kill him. They will follow him behind. This boy walked for hours and when he stopped, he looked behind, there was nobody. And he didn't know how long since they had let him. So imagine now, how do you heal somebody like that? God is using Muindo to heal, to be an instrument. Let me return to you the question. We are so in a hurry to judge people. We easily point people and see only the mistake. But I think God is challenging us this morning. Are we the one who will give a chance? Who will be ready to love the unlovable that we think they are unlovable? Are you the one this morning who will say, yes, I will go where you sent me? Are you the one? God bless you. Thank you so much um, for sharing uh, with us just the, just the word of God's words and just the stories um, to help us to see a part of the, you know, what's going on in the world that we would otherwise not see. And in listening uh, just to some of the stories, I know that um, it was hard. Um, and for some of us, it could maybe have hit a little too close to home. Um, and so I want to acknowledge that, especially, um, you know, talk about sexual violence is very difficult. And so if any of you are like, you know, um, have been deeply affected by that or even wounded by it, just know that uh, we have uh, a 
a private and confidential group, um, a church here to come alongside you. Um, please reach out to any of the pastors and we could um, provide uh, direction and guidance for you in that. But also, um, as they were sharing, um, there was a psalm that came to mind. Um, it's found in Psalm 10. At the very end, it says, You, O Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. And this is the psalmist reflecting on the fact that our God hears the cries of the afflicted. God is constantly in tune with those who are being oppressed throughout the world. God's ears are never closed. He is never ignorant. And that's the kind of God that we, we serve, a God that is always inclined to pay attention to those who are suffering. And I know for many of us who are living in this part of the world, it's easy to close ourselves off from what is happening. But the scripture says that God hears God defends the fatherless and the oppressed. And that sometimes it's necessary for us to, to listen to those cries, even, you know, through, the, through our, our brother and sister, uh, Camille and Esther, who are there on the grounds um, paying attention. And so as a church, I ask that, you know, as these thoughts, as these seeds have been planted in us, what do we do with them? It would be easy for us just to say, well, that was a, that was a hard Sunday and just kind of walk away. But, but to hear the challenge, you know, are you the one? What does it mean for us maybe not to go to Congo or maybe it is? But to ask ourselves, God, I am here, I am present, and I want to hear what you hear. I want to pay attention to the things that you care about and help us as a church, as a community, to, to allow just that thing that has been said and planted in our hearts uh, to somehow grow and to sprout uh, by pondering, by thinking, by praying more. And so as we transition into communion, um, this is part of why we go to communion. It's to reflect on what Christ has done for us. That Jesus, in taking up the cross, has also asked us to take up the cross. What does it mean for us to actually be Christ's disciples and being willing to share in the sufferings of Christ? We take the bread and we take the wine, not just the symbols, not just as routine we do on Sunday morning, but for us to say, yes, I am willing to follow who Jesus is. I'm willing to do what Jesus um, did. And that we... If ever was asked, you know, are we followers of Jesus? Like Christ, we can say, look at, look at the people around us who are being changed. Look at the lives that are being, um, being cared for. The gospel is being preached to the poor. And so let's prepare our hearts now um, before we come forward, just in a moment of silence. Um, reflecting on what Camille and Esther shared.
Think about um, just the good that Africa and New Day is doing, just so, more, so much of the systemic change and the positive empowerment that is going on. Maybe think about, too, maybe our own contribution to the abuse of people. And maybe that's what we need to repent of. But wherever you're at um, today, um, whatever you carry in your heart, 